Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Future in Review podcast, where we talk with leaders in technology, science, and business about the future of technology and the global economy. I am your host, Barrett Anderson, the COO of Future in Review. And for those of you who haven't heard of Future in Review before, The Economist has called it the best technology conference in the world. I'm here today with uh, Mike Redding, who is the chief technology officer of a company called Quantropy. And I am so excited to be here with him today uh, because we are going to talk not just about what he's doing, but about our Firestarter program at Future Interview. So every year at Future in Review, we select a handful of companies that are using technology to change the world for the better. We turn down a lot of ideas and suggestions and because we don't actually believe that, you know, they might be an interesting company, they might be doing something unique, but the impact is not necessarily, to our mind at least, positive. Um, so I'm really excited to announce that Quantropy has been selected this year as a Firestarter company. It is a Canadian company that has developed quantum secure cryptography that works over today's internet. So Mike, welcome. We're so excited to have you here and that you'll be joining us in LA in November for future interviews. Well, thank you. And can't wait to see you down in LA for what is a fantastic event, bringing together so many thought leaders and world leaders to talk about the future and what we can do to make it better. So. I want to start off with, um, I think those in the quantum space are very familiar with the encryption problem that relates to quantum computing, uh, potential the potential future you know, encryption problem that relates to quantum computing, but I'm hoping that you could give those who may not be as familiar with that a little bit of a primer. Sure. So why, why is the potential discovery of quantum computing so important from a national security perspective, especially? Sure. And I- Absolutely. So the internet as we know it today, the powers, the global $50 trillion a year digital economy, you know, is secured through encryption technologies. And the great news in particular, um, asymmetric encryption or public key infrastructure, PKI, different names for the same thing. How do you establish trust between any two parties? I'm me, you're you, we mm-hmm. can trust each other. And then we share a secret, which we then use to encrypt all the data and motion data at rest so that nobody People we don't want can't have it. Great. Problem is Nobel Prize winner Peter Shore came up with a use of quantum computers to do a mathematical thing, which is factor prime numbers, which has a lot of great uses. But unfortunately, it would ultimately break the current encryption we use for that establishment of trust and that key exchange. Now, to do that, you need a really big quantum computer, millions of qubits with a circuit depth in the billions. Mm -hmm. And he proposed this in the 90s. And even now in the 20s, we're still a ways, quite a ways away from that device. But it's coming because as we know, quantum technology advances every day. So governments around the world have started the process to say, how do we replace today's standards with new cryptographic standards that will be quantum resistant? That's lovely when they had decades to do it problem is the timeline is accelerating because of what I like to call the unholy alliance of quantum tech with everybody's favorite AI. Mm-hmm. When you mash those two together, there's been a number of research over the past nine to 12 months that have shown we can radically change the nature of what we need resource-wise to actually attack the fundamentals of the internet. And as a result, 
Groups like Gartner, ENY have now said, instead of it being a decades problem, it's a this decade problem. In fact, one global bank internally predicted we would see the first breaches no later than 2027. And so the challenge is what was once a long-term theoretical problem is becoming a short-term tactical, almost day zero breach. Yeah. And personally, from what I've heard, I think it may actually happen much sooner well, than 2027. Yeah. Well, actually, in fact, just two weeks ago, there was a paper uh, funded by the U.S. Air Force in a public forum on, under DISA from a company called Mem Computing uh, of San Diego, where they looked at just even using today's silicon techniques, they could build, they had a roadmap to build a chip on an ASIC that would break the current, you know, gold standard RSA 2048 in sub-second time using nothing but classic manufacturing techniques. So, and they said that if they had just kept working on it, they would have a working version of that inside of two years. So what I'm hearing from you is that, and, and I think it's important to put this into context for those who are not encryption experts, um, which is, Basically, what we're describing is what underpins the security that we currently feel when we're making online transactions, buying things online, um, you know, any kind of online purchasing or economic activity relies on this, or this current standard of, of encryption. Yeah. And so and what, you're it, what you're describing would basically fundamentally allow that to be undermined. Yeah, so right now it's used about a trillion times a day. So that's mm -hmm. a lot. Uh, HTTPS, it's the S. Mm -hmm. Hey, have you ever DocuSigned anything? Guess mm -hmm. what? You're using it. So the challenge is any website can be compromised or, or faked. Any digital signature, hey, the bank says you owe them a trillion. You say, I owe you nothing. I, you say you own that house. I say I own that house. Every digital signature going back to the 90s can be forged or keep faked. Every transaction can be compromised and all data can be read. Um, anything you store in the cloud can be exfiltrated and compromised. So it's kind of like the global economy. I can turn off the stoplights. I can make the water stop flowing, black out the grid, corrupt any manufacturing process, scramble the global supply chain. You name it, it's, it's literally Armageddon and or digital Armageddon. And so the, the term for it is Y2Q, as a riff on the old Y2K problem, where come midnight, whatever quantum midnight is, uh, suddenly a bad guy or girl can break it all. And thanks to AI, that day is a lot closer than it's ever been. So I want to come back to this because I have some questions about the logistics of what it would take to break it all, quote unquote. Um, but before we do that, let's talk a little bit about what you all are doing at Quantropy. A lot of companies out there claim to be building technologies that can protect against quantum encryption. What are you doing that's different from others? Sure. And so I would suggest... Sorry, quantum decryption. Yeah, that's good. So what we're doing different... Um, is two things. One is we like to say we're fighting quantum with quantum and that we started with quantum science and said, how can we use quantum physical concepts, quantum physics to actually achieve information security? 
So right there, that's a different mathematical basis than a lot of other cryptographic approaches. And versus throwing more math at it, we're throwing different math and we're in fact throwing quantum math at it. So that's number one. Okay. Number two, we're thinking about it holistically because in the end, you need three things in any system to be cryptographically secure. You need that asymmetric encryption, which is the establishment of trust. Mm -hmm. You need symmetric encryption, which protects data in motion and data at rest. And if those two things are the lock, you need a strong key. So you need strong entropy, strong random numbers to make your cryptographic keys so that your password, if you would, is as strong as the lock. Because if it's the old, a chain is only as weak, or it's only as strong as its weakest link. Right. And so we look at it holistically and say, how do we provide a toolbox that has all three cryptographic capabilities available so that they can be integrated, but importantly, integrated into today's systems, the millions, if not billions of devices, every website, every network transaction, you know, all of it, you can't rip and replace the internet. You can't start over with replacing all computer architectures with something novel and new. So how do we protect what we already have, let alone do something into the future? So you're, you've basically built this in a way that you believe will help protect and encrypt, keep, keep encrypted connections when quantum is discovered. Is that correct? Yeah. So, well, not that quantum is discovered so much as when it becomes feasible to deploy it and right. to use it in yeah. anger against yeah. a target. And yes, we believe that the mathematical basis and the great news is all of our thoughts and work has been uh, documented in academic partnerships and through peer-reviewed journals, including Springer Physics, Nature Scientific Reports. So this isn't some little black box experiment of cold fusion. This is something being done in cryptography. Nobody likes a black box. So we're not, we're completely transparent. All of our core concepts are in the public eye because that's the way everyone who wants to can kick the tires and make sure that it does what it needs to do, which is protect data and systems. And what kinds of organizations, I know you probably aren't able to disclose actual names of your clients, but what kinds of organizations are you working with so far? Well, so we see actually adoption in kind of three waves. The answer is ultimately everybody, but the, the waves are first major product manufacturers because they need the Intel inside. They need the quantum upgrade so that they can continue to serve their enterprise and government agency customers. So, and they have a 12 to 24 month cycle on major product releases. So they need to get the train rolling. And that's where we're seeing some fantastic interest and early uptake. Second wave, but these waves overlap, is yeah. IoT. Because so much critical infrastructure has so weak encryption now. Yeah, yeah the that, IoT nightmare of, of security. Right, we've seen botnet attacks and other things because of that. And yet, again, the thing that will make the wheels of society grind to a halt the fastest is if you break the systems that keep us humming along. So that becomes, uh, you know, so there, and also if you're someone making millions of devices, we have one company, they make a medical bed mm -hmm. and a smart bed, you can control it. But the way you upgrade it is you unscrew a metal panel and put a USB key in it. Well, if they have tens of thousands of beds, it's not an over the air patch because that would be too risky. 
So for them, they want to fire and forget. They want to upload it, future-proof it, and then screw it shut. Mm-hmm. So IoT, because of the resource constraints, uh, because of the limitations of the device itself, but also millions, if not tens of millions of things needing upgrades, the, if you can do it at manufacture time and have a longevity of a 10 to 20-year life cycle, you're very happy. So they're wave two. And then wave three, the long big tail, is, of course, government and enterprise adoption. Again, they're going to consume it a lot from the hardware and software companies they buy from, but for their in-house custom IT applications, operating systems, and things like that, that's something that they will upgrade to over the fullness of time. And so that's where we see that the stair steps of adoption and um, deployment. And how far are, away are we, do you think, from what you're seeing from governments being moving proactively to protect themselves against this well, the great news is uh it's a work in progress but like anything else um the wheels of government turn at a certain pace mm-hmm. so nist you know saw this problem in the us uh, in 2016 and started a process that seven years later is close to completion to actually come up with some new standards with international participation um groups like ietf the internet engineering task force have started to look at, uh, especially um, around things like IPsec VPNs, where they can come up with specifications that are independent of those algorithms, but use strong random numbers to achieve post-quantum security. And they've already started to publish standards. So again, we can engineer the internet around these things. Mm-hmm. Um, so the US government passed a law uh, last year requiring that a year after the NIST uh, candidates are final that US procurement needs to start buying. Uh, those, you know, those upgraded products. So creating marketplace demand. Yeah. So the good news and, is- I mean, it just, just to go back to the NIST thing for a second, my understanding is that what they did was to put out kind of like a public call for new quantum, po- post-quantum encryption technologies and, and tactics. Right. So again, of the three legs of the stool, they specifically focused on asymmetric encryption, key exchange and digital signature. They put it out a call. They took all comers. They've gone through four- rounds and they've even got a fifth round going uh effectively on digital signature they've you know they've it's kind of you know to some degree it's like battle bots they're fighting it out and letting the whole world of cryptography give it a kicking and in some (laughs) cases some things have risen to the top a few things Mm -hmm. have made it far and fallen over that's the process and that's wonderful right and now this coming early 2024 they will announce an actual standard and then just call it six months after that, we'll have a FIPS test, which is for standardization. And by about this time next year, slash early 2025, we'll start to have the first FIPS certified products available in the market. So we're a little over a year away from certified products, but the challenges in some cases, those new algorithms are going to be big and heavy. Mm-hmm. And in some use cases, especially edge and IoT, maybe there, they'll need to be lightweight versions that are not yet created. So it's not going to be a one size fits all, you know, solution is right. probably more like the old 80-20 rule. So of what you're seeing, you know, being developed through that process, would how would that fit in with the existing internet architecture? And, you know, what, like, and and how does that compare? Because I think my understanding is what Contrapy does is really kind of this more to your point, it's more lightweight. You can be, you can deploy it now. It's 
kind of ready to go and ready to roll out. And then we've got this potentially heavier weight product or products coming out of the this NIST process. How do you see those two things working together where they have different applications, different use cases? What's what is that? No, like? no, that's a fantastic question. And so the the challenge is everyone would like and you need universal standards because that's how my browser can connect to a, you know a random website securely, right? Right. So and so that's why you got to have standards, but it may not it can't unfortunately be just oh fire you know, one magic silver bullet because unfortunately that magic silver bullet is much heavier than today's, the ones it would replace. Now they're designed to fit into the same protocols. Mm -hmm. So they, they fit in the place, but it's like kind of saying, well, I'm gonna swap the engine to your car, but the engine's gonna weigh more and use more gas and, and go slower, but you'll still drive. Right. And it still fits, but it's just, you don't get the same performance. And so in fact, Google just released a version of Chrome with a pre-release, even though the standards aren't published, they put it in there because they said, and it's optional, but they said, if you turn it on, you should turn it on because it's probably going to break parts of your internet infrastructure. Mm -hmm. It's better to find it out now when you can fix it than have to turn this on under duress and then find out your internet broke. And right. so what we do is, again, so the, the concept that people have said theoretically for years, but is now coming true is this idea of crypto agility, where you're going to have to be more dynamic in your choices and use the right tool for the right job because it's not going to be samey samey across the board. And so our product will offer, of course, those NIST standard ones because that's table stakes, but our novel algorithms, which again come from a different mathematical basis, because they're lightweight and much and have a completely different performance profile, will be for those customers or those applications where they have the latitude to adopt something that isn't just the standard because it's a closed ecosystem. They might own mm -hmm. both ends of the pipe. Um, it's a private transaction. Medical devices, great example. The pacemaker talks to the manufacturer's mm -hmm. you know, cloud service. That's a private connection. It's not me browsing the internet. My pacemaker doesn't browse the internet. Yeah. And so the net result is I can put a novel private algorithm as long as it's got the back, you know, the, the again, the cryptographic analysis that proves it's secure. And that's all the FDA requires. Um, and then as a result, I have a robust, lightweight, high performance so that, you know, my heart keeps ticking. That's a great example. So we'll fill in those edge cases with our novel, but down the middle will be the, the standards based. And in some cases, like a regulated industry, like a banking, they're legally obligated to only use the NIST algorithms. So they'll use that and they'll just throw more horsepower at it. Mm -hmm. But other places, you can't. So, you know, you all are, a, how long have you been around as a company? So we're five years old. Okay. And what, you know, part of the position of, that's that's a pretty long time for, for a startup company, which is great. Well, and, but the challenge for us is we're deep tech. Mm -hmm. And so that a lot of that five years, it seems like it's both long and short has been in doing the fundamental research Right. Doing the academic partnerships to to validate the concepts, IP development and productization. So the great news, our product is commercially available just in time for this market to emerge. Right. So it's the old, you know, um, chicken and egg a bit, but we've got the tech and now the market is starting 
unfortunately, thanks to the, the threat vectors accelerating, the market is starting to um, materialize and we're hoping to then bring ready to go, hardened commercial grade tech and not science projects and slipstream it right into you know, global uh, organizations and uh, national defense. And if I am like, let's say, so, so it sounds like you're at a point where you are ready to start delivering product. You are already delivering product, is my Correct. understanding. We are already you're ready, ready to start scaling that up a little bit. More product, let's say that. Yeah. Um, is there so who are who is who would be buying your product and and how like if I'm listening to this podcast, this conversation, how do I know if I need Quantropy? Well, who is Quantropy a good fit for and who who would be buying it? Well, it's it all comes down to do you have data mm -hmm. that if accessed by an unauthorized party would have would damage your business or your your security, right? Your national security, right? Do you have secrets or information that is you know material and confidential that has value? over the next three to five to 10 years, you know, some, you know, things that are marked top secret for the U.S. government have a legal requirement to be maintained as a secret for 25 years, unless declassified. So how are we going to protect it for the next 25 years, right? If you have bank data, some of it may be, what's my bank balance right now? It changes, who cares? But it could very well be, again, that digital signature on a loan document, and that loan is a 30-year mortgage, I got to protect that signature for 30 years. Mm -hmm. And so it all comes down to always what's the time horizon where if compromised or could just be a very embarrassing photo that I've got in my, on my phone that if someone downloaded it, they could embarrass me. Maybe I'm a politician. Um, maybe it'd be politically sensitive for the country. So it all comes down to if the wrong person got it, how bad's the damage? Mm -hmm. And therefore, so therefore our main buyer is someone who is either a product security officer who's saying, how do we make sure that our products are post-quantum secure? I'm a CISO at an agency or an enterprise that says, again, how do, or a CIO that mm -hmm. says, how do we make sure that our business is protected? You know, we're, we're selling umbrellas and the storm is on the horizon. And so <laughs> the question comes down to, you know, but the clouds maybe haven't quite formed because right. it's a little bit, a little bit, you know, like radar tells you. Are you, you going to buy the umbrella now or are you going to wait until it's pouring on top of you to and, go out and try and, and buy and if, you, and if you've ever been on the streets of, of New York City, and I have. Rain, <laughs> yeah. suddenly umbrellas are a hundred bucks, yeah. right? <laughs> a well, $3 umbrella becomes 25 bucks, 50 bucks, depends on how hard it's raining. Yeah, the umbrella vendors tend to disappear when it's actually raining. No, well, they don't actually, but yeah. yeah. But you get the point that suddenly... You know, but again, you don't want to do this under duress because it's everything you use. And, and yeah, you're already likely to. And and so it's again, it's a risk reward. It's all risk reward calculation. And, and it comes down to if you have data, because again, the big problem is not just the real time breaches of the future, but the steel now crack later. Every time you read about someone's network and data getting stolen, if the CIO or the CISO or the company says or the agency says, oh, it's OK, it's encrypted for now, not <laughs> whatever. And therein lies. So, you know, like a couple of years ago, there was a breach of on-premise exchange servers and 350,000 
exchange servers had all the emails on them exfiltrated to a foreign country mm -hmm. and you know us and canada attributed it to a chinese actor um now they're all encrypted with three with the encryption of three years ago sometime in the next few years that actor will have the tools to decrypt it all and again in five years 99 percent of the email who cares one percent of it national secrets embarrassing financial or political data that's still got value. They'll use AI to read it all and find the gold nuggets. And suddenly that breach suddenly has real economic and national security consequences. Now, Mike, I want to bring up one other thing that we haven't mentioned yet today, which is um, because by, very, by the very nature of this problem, when someone, some nation state or, or company solves it or achieves, you know, that next level of quantum computing that would allow this to happen, we no one's going to know about it, right? If they're doing a good job of what they're, they're not going to be shouting it from the rooftops because as soon as everyone knows about it, their protective and defensive stance come, comes up, their encryption improves, becomes harder for whoever has this capability to use it. And so therefore, I think it's important to note that this is one of those problems that you know, could have been already cracked already, technically, probably not, but uh, well, we and, won't necessarily know when it happens, right? right? And, so, and so we know, and I've mentioned a couple examples of it, but we know about the state of the art of the attacks from public research organizations. Mm -hmm. We don't know the state of the art of the attacks from secret government sponsored laboratories. Right. So if the public information says that using publicly available methods, you could do it in two to three years, what can you do if you've got a government of any size throwing resources at it? Is it still two to three years away or is right. it two to three years ago? We don't know. So that's why, again, it comes down to Unfortunately, it's it's one of those. It's like a class of, of advanced persist, persistent threat. You don't know when you've been breached and when when you're. But if you, but the question could be already could be happening. So when do you shut the gate before the horse gets out? You try, and that's what and that's why we think it's not something you can just sleep on for another few years till the breach is proven. Because by the time it's publicly proven, it's privately, privately, probably more than yeah. likely, more than too late. Yeah. Well, Mike, thank you so much for your time today. This has been a really fascinating conversation. I am very much looking forward to having you all at Future Interview this year. And, you know, as is uh, like our name, we do very much look to what what can we anticipate coming up in the future and how do we help our audience and our, our community protect themselves against po potential future threats. So Quantropy, I would say, is a perfect example of one one avenue for doing that and we're so excited to have you all join us this year well thank you so much